See if you can figure out who said this. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. It's a quote that sounds as if it were straight from the stage production of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. But it was the Apostle Paul who uttered those words. And if you're human, chances are you've experienced this very feeling. We feel more at home with the things of darkness than we do with the things of God's light. In our lives, we go through most of our days as people who want to please God and who want to live God's will in our own lives. But a battle rages within us, and Mr. Hyde shows his face whenever he wishes and ruins the very things that we sought to build. So even though you want to do what's right, your nature fights against you. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. So what's the verdict? Are we destined to live in darkness without any hope? Well, this week, Charles Tapp shares the final part in his series, The Church on Trial, with a verdict you may not see coming. With part seven, the verdict is in. In the courtroom scenes that I have viewed on television, the most suspenseful time in the trial has been when both sides have been notified that the verdict is in, that the jury has completed its deliberations and finally they have reached a decision. Whether the accused has been deemed guilty or innocent of the offense for which he or she is being charged. And the jury, typically a group made up of 12 men and women, have been sworn to weigh all the evidence that has been presented and to present an impartial decision. And as you know, depending on the nature of the trial, sometimes the jury's deliberation may last only a few hours, sometimes a few weeks, but in the more challenging of cases, sometimes even months go by before a decision is reached. But at the end of the day, when all is said and done, what's most important is that the jury's decision is an honest reflection of the evidence that has been presented. For the past several weeks, we've put on the church on trial, trying to determine its guilt or innocence based on the claims that we as the church have made ourselves about ourselves, as well as those claims that have been brought against us. And in doing so, we have covered the full gamut. We've gone from examining the basic foundation of what it means to be a church. We've even asked ourselves the question, are we even any good at being the church? And we've even called several star witnesses, those who have a first-hand account of what has actually taken place. We've called John the Baptist, we called John the Apostle, we called Peter, and we even put Jesus on the stand himself. But today, the verdict is finally in, and we are ready to hear from the jury. But before we do, don't you just love suspense? But before we do, I want to take us back 
to another case where the verdict has already been rendered. And this particular verdict has great weight on this particular trial today. So I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. Look at what the Word of God has to say. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were what? Their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be what? Exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Now, if you've been with us throughout this series, you know that John's gospel serves the purpose of trying to convince the jury that Jesus is who he claims to be, and that's not just some run-of-the-mill rabbi, but that Jesus is actually the Son of God, the Messiah, that he is God himself. And in his opening statements, his opening remarks of John chapter 1, John lists five facts that he wants to prove as he begins his trial. The first is this. He says that the Word was with God, meaning that the Word was at the beginning with God at creation and even before creation. Number two, that the Word here in John chapter 1 is an active communicator with God, being in the very presence of God. Number three, that the Word and the Father, although they are one, they are not identical. For here, John gives us a little insight into this thing of the mystery of the Trinity or the Godhead. And point number four, that in him, talking about the Word, was the essence of life, meaning that everything owes its existence to God. Nothing is created that has entered into this world that's not a result of the world creating it. And number five, and he gives this toward the end of his argument, his opening statement. He says, and finally, this word, this uncreated word has become flesh and has decided to live in the midst of men. But today, I want to focus on one aspect of John's gospel here in John chapter 1 and verse 4. Look at what John says here. John 1 verse 4. He says, in him was what? Life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Now, there are two main points that John is trying to convey to us in this one passage, and that is this. First of all, nothing exists or nothing is created without coming first through and from this life. And secondly, that this life gives off a light that becomes the light of men that helps to bring them out of spiritual darkness into this spiritual awakening of who the light really is. So in other words, through the life of Jesus Christ, you and I are exposed and our eyes become open to the light of God's Word, which brings us out of darkness 
end to this great and marvelous life. And this is what John is referring to earlier on in John chapter 3 when he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever decides to believe in him will not perish but have this thing called everlasting life. Amen? This is the best known and the most frequently preached of all scriptures in God's Word. But what I've discovered is sometimes, you know, as believers, when we read God's Word, we become so accustomed to certain scriptures that we become comfortable with them. I guarantee you, many of you today, one of the first verses you ever put to memory in Scripture was John 3.16. Am I right? For God so loved the world. But when I hear that, that God so loved this world, the first question that comes to my mind is this. What world could John be talking about here? He couldn't be talking about this defective, broken, cracked world that you and I live in, this, this fallen and wicked place, this place, God so loved this world that he decided to be one like us and to die for it. It cannot be this world. There's got to be another world that he died for. It can't be this world. But that's exactly what John is saying, that God died for this world. And even better yet, God died for my world and he died for your world, that whoever believes in him can see the light and have the light and will not perish, but have this thing called everlasting life. But here's a paradox that I want us to look at today here in John's gospel in chapter 3. John says that Jesus' life brings us light. Please don't miss this. His life brings us what? Light. His death also brings us life. But that doesn't equate. Follow me. For if his life gives us light, shouldn't his death give us darkness? Do you see it? But it's a paradox. No, his life gives us light, but his death also gives us life. And what I hear John saying is, listen, this is a win-win situation because it's an amazing offer that God has for you and for me today, that through the life of Jesus Christ, you and I can have the light of his word that ultimately brings us into the light of salvation, and he became one of us and died so that you and I could have access to this thing called eternal life. It's a win-win. For we've got life. Our eyes can be open to salvation. And through his death, you and I can be assured of salvation. But as amazing as that is, here's the thing that trumps that. Here's what I find to be even more amazing than that. And John alludes to it in John 3 and verse 19. He says, instead of mankind accepting this win-win offer, man decides to reject it. And he gives a reason for why mankind rejected this offer. He says, because they love darkness instead of loving light. It's like being in a trial for a crime 
which you know you are guilty, and if you're going to be convicted, the sentence is going to be death, but then you receive a plea bargain to agree to a lesser crime, but instead of being punished for that crime, you are set scot-free. It's difficult to understand and comprehend why anyone would not jump at this offer that God gives to you and to me. But John says that mankind, instead of openly, willingly accepting that offer, basically says to God, I love my darkness more than I love your light. And if you read this translation of this word love here, it doesn't just say that we love darkness more than light. It basically reads this way, that we have set our love on darkness. In other words, we've set all of our emotions, all of our affections, all the things that make us what we are, we have embraced it with the darkness of this world. And what I hear John saying today is that this thing of sin, listen to me, is more than just you and me breaking the law of God here and there, one day here, one day there. But what I hear him saying is that sin is much deeper than that. I hear John saying sin goes to our very core, that sin is about our very natures. In other words, it's not that we choose to do this or don't choose to do that. John is saying our very beings have been contaminated by this thing called sin. And that is why we live in a world and a culture today where we are more comfortable, listen to me, we're more comfortable with darkness than we are light. We feel more at home with the things of darkness than we do with the things of God's light. And you don't have to look long and hard to discover that. Just turn on your television for five minutes and you will soon discover we live in a culture today that embraces darkness more than it embraces light. Every once in a while you get some light on the tennis channel, but full of darkness. We live in a culture today where we are more inclined to gravitate to the things of darkness. It's like darkness has a pull on us and we just gravitate to this thing called darkness. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and part seven of The Church on Trial. The verdict is in. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. Man, when I think about WGTS, I think about family. And uh, WGTS lifts me up. The whole crew has truly been a blessing in my life. And um, I'm forever grateful for WGTS and what they do for myself and for the community. support makes a difference. I always uh, encourage people, like, you want to listen to something to be encouraged when you're going through a tough time, starting to 91.9, um, they'll definitely up with the spirits. And uh, especially in the trying time we're in right now in society. Working together to impact the nation's capital. We are and I am forever grateful for, for the WGPS family because that's exactly what it is, family. And we get to be a part of that as listeners, which is is amazing. Listener funded. WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. At 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. 
This is Simple Truths for Life, and the light of God's truth exposes the dark places of our sins. And that can be a bit disconcerting to some. But Charles Tapp shares a surprising verdict. He shares what the ruling is as he shares the final part in his series, The Church on Trial. With his message, the verdict is in. We live in a culture today where we are more inclined to gravitate to the things of darkness. It's like darkness has a pull on us and we just gravitate to this thing called darkness. And that's what Paul is saying in his great exposition in Romans 7. And you know it oh so well. The things that are right that I want to do, those are the things I find myself not doing. And then he says, the things that I don't want to do, the darkness that I want to stay away, from some reason I feel just this pull, this gravitational pull that keeps pulling me in that direction. Paul is saying it's not necessarily because of your choices, it's because your very DNA has been corrupted and contaminated by sin. So even though you want to do what's right, your nature fights against you. You are feeling this pull, and it doesn't just pull. The pull doesn't just come from thoughts you have. It's just this natural progression that if you don't fight against it, automatically you will go in that direction. It's like weeds in your garden. I can't wait until I can plant my garden. But here's the thing about life that I've discovered. Have you ever gone to one of these stores that sell gardening tools and resources and seeds? Have you ever said, give me a pack of weeds? <laughs> I've never gone and said, give me 10 packs of weeds so I can plant them right in the midst of my marigolds. But guess what happens? When I plant the marigolds, guess what pops up? Weeds. Why do weeds pop up? Because even the soil is contaminated by sin. So weeds pop up in our lives from time to time, not because we go, come on, weeds, I want more weeds. No. They just pop up because, because John says sin is bigger than just breaking a commandment here and there. Sin is all throughout who you are. And that's what John is saying here in describing man's condition. He says we have set our affections on the things that are dark. And then in verse 20, he tells us and explains even more so why. He says, those who love evil hate light for the fear of their deeds being exposed. When my family and I were serving in Jamaica, and I love Jamaica, let me just say that now. And when you hear this story, you'll understand why I said that. You know that early on Sabbath mornings, I usually get up around 4 o'clock. And I heard these sounds coming from the bathroom across the hallway. Sounds like... So I decided to get up. It's 4 o'clock and walk across to the bathroom. And I turned on the what? Light. When I turned on the light, remember, I love what? Jamaica. Hundreds of these flying cockroaches. <laughs> so I went and got the bug spray that was not FDA approved <laughs> and sprayed it everywhere. Big, big mistake. 
That bug spray will kill you and me, but it's not going to kill a Jamaican cockroach. <laughs> so I immediately closed the door and turned off the light. You see, when the light of God's word shines upon us, those of us who love darkness, we want to hide from the light. Because what light does, it exposes the condition of the nature of who we really are. And there are some people who hate the light, run from the light, because they love their sin more. There's an atheist, famous atheist, Adois Leonard Huxley. And people asking him his opinion about Christianity, he says that his rejection of Christianity is not that he does not believe that Christ ever lived and walked upon the first of the earth, but he says, I reject Christianity because I love my sin too much. He says, I love my way of life too much, and I cannot give it up. And as bad as that may sound, I applaud him. Why? Because he's honest. Because too many times when, when the light of God's word is shown into individual lives, they'll come up with excuses as like, I, I don't have any time for the word now, or I just need more time to, to make sure that this is really something that actually took place. But in essence, many of them are saying in their hearts, the reason why I don't want the light and run from it is because it exposes who I am. And what I am, and I would rather live my sinful lifestyle. In other words, when, when Jesus, who is the light, came into this world, he didn't come to bring condemnation. He came to bring us a choice, either to accept the light or to reject the light. One of my favorite contemporary theologians, John Piper, he says, the coming of Jesus into the world clarifies that unbelief is our fault and belief is God's gift, which means that if we do not come to Christ, but rather perish eternally, we magnify God's justice. And if we do come to Christ and gain eternal life, he says, we magnify God's grace. And in essence, what John Piper is saying is the same thing that John the Apostle, Apostle is saying, that when it comes to the light of the world through Jesus Christ, you and I are given a choice. It is an unavoidable choice. You and I can't run from it because once the light has come, you've got to decide and I've got to decide whether to walk in the light or to run from the light and to hide into darkness. Because every time the light of God's word shines into our lives, we are confronted with an unavoidable decision that we have to make. You know, I've noticed in ministry that you can never satisfy a congregation when it comes to the topics that you preach about. For if you preach about the love of Jesus, they will say, you need to preach more what? Prophecy. If you preach more prophecy, then they say you need to preach more how-to messages, how to get along with people, 
how to treat your children, how to train your children. And if you preach those kinds of how-to messages, then they tell you you need to preach last-day messages. And then you start preaching last-day messages, then they tell you that you need to preach something that makes them feel good. If you preach something that makes them feel good, then they say, well, you need to preach more social justice messages. And here's the thing that I'm beginning to discover. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes we may not like the subject matter. We may try to turn a deaf ear to it because it's too much light that is being shown into our lives. Because remember now, John says, we don't just love darkness. We have placed our very affections on darkness. We're more comfortable with darkness. So don't preach that love stuff to me. Just make me feel good. And here's a trend, and, 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 I, and I pray every day about this. Here's a trend that is taking the Christian world by storm, and it is coming to our church even to this very day. Our, many of our preachers, God bless them, I pray for them, have fallen into this trap of preaching this gospel that just makes everybody feel good about themselves. And they do that primarily to get the big crowd. But here's what I was telling Desmond earlier today when we were sitting in the back. Whenever Jesus got a big crowd, if you don't believe me, look at it in the Gospels, especially John chapter 6. Whenever Jesus got a big crowd, whatever he did, he would always preach something, and it always made the crowd not bigger but small. And it didn't make it smaller because he was trying to reject people. It became smaller because Jesus shone the light into their lives. And John 6 and verse 66 says that from that moment on, they left and never returned. But when he fed the 5,000, they came back. As long as you give me something that makes me feel good, I'm with you. The moment you shine the light of God's word into my life, I act like Jamaican cockroach. And all I want to do is fly away. But John ends this session in verse 20. He says, but the verdict may be that men hate light. But then he gives an alternative verdict. He says, but those who live by the truth and come into the light, they love the light. In other words, John is saying the same light that exposes us for who we are, if we continue to submit to that light and continue to walk in that light, that same light will be the light that transforms us. So, yes, it still exposes those who love the light, but the more and more we walk into that light, John says that is the same light that is going to transform your life. Amen? So here's the issue. The verdict is in, but it's an interesting verdict. For those of you who watch movies, you've seen and you've heard this terminology, an alternative ending. Sometimes a director will come up with two endings. And he'll put out both of those films, and he'll allow the viewing audience to decide which one they like best. 
And that's what John is doing here. He says the verdict is in, but it's not just one verdict. It's an alternative verdict. You can either continue to live in the darkness and you'll be condemned, or here's the other verdict. You can either allow the light to expose you and continue to walk in that light and continue to allow your life to be transformed. In other words, here's the verdict. It's neither guilty nor innocent. The church needs to decide whether we're going to run from the light or whether we're going to walk in the light. And if we decide to choose the alternative verdict and to continue to walk in the light, John says that same light, the light of the life of God, will transform the very things in our lives that it first exposed. Who says amen to that today? You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and part seven of The Church on Trial. The verdict is in. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. Compromise has a way of creeping up on you. How many of you have said one day, when you looked at where you were in your life, how in the world did I end up here? Next week, Charles Tapp begins a new series of messages on one of the most misunderstood books of the Bible, the book of Revelation. But its message still speaks to the condition of our world today and challenges our societal norms. We hope you can join us for the first part of Christ First, a journey through the book of Revelation. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.